right, good morning. morning. Hope you all had a good week. While we are uh, waiting for everybody to get out, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to um, the book of Exodus chapter 17. And it's going to take a little while for us to get there, but that's where I want us to turn. Exodus chapter 17. Got some new class members this morning. That's good. So we got a good topic this morning, something that I, I really enjoy uh, hearing about, really enjoy studying, really enjoy uh, teaching about. Um, this morning we're going to talk about being a friend to others. Uh, before we get there, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what was happening at work this week. Uh, I was talking to Brother Johnny, and every night in our devotions and and. Uh, Sarah and Emma every morning, I'm, I'm usually gone before Emma wakes up, so we don't have devotions together in the morning, but uh, at night we pray for dad to be safe at work, right? And that's something that kind of, not cliche, but natural, pray for daddy to be safe at work today, and, or thank you that he was safe at work today. Well, this week, uh, those prayers were, were hard at work, because, uh, so we're, we're doing a job down in Disputana, or down in Waverly. And there's a line running there that we're upgrading, and that line runs at 500 pounds of pressure, gas pressure. And uh, so we're upgrading that line. We have to tie into that, that gas line to, to uh, run the new one off of. And the welder gets down there, and, and uh, so he had to live weld, on, or weld onto that live gas line to put some fittings on. And plastic, I'm really, really comfortable around our plastic lines. And this has nothing to do with the lesson. I'm just telling you all how my week went. Um, but I'm really comfortable around the plastic lines that we do. They usually run around 55 pounds. Um, plastic is what I started on. This is what I, I, I started uh, with this company doing. So really comfortable around it. Even if, a, even if a hole blows in it or something like that, it does. I don't normally get too nervous because I know what pressure it's running at. But this line running at 500 pounds, it's like a balloon if it, if it blows. It, it ruptures instead of leaks. So a plastic line running at 55 pounds will just leak. A, a steel line running at that kind of pressure is, does a rupture, and so it just kind of blows apart because the, the air is all trying to get out at the same time. So it's a little bit more nerve-wracking now. This was a little two-inch line running at 500 pounds of pressure, and the welder said it's, I, we dug it up, he saw what coating was on it, and he said, it shouldn't be a big deal, that should be what we call 254 wall. So it's about a quarter inch thick, the wall of the pipe is. And, uh, but before we do any welding on it, we do what's called a, a mag particle. So they take basically a, uh, um, it's not an x-ray, what, what is it called when we, ultrasound, for, for, I was trying to think of, for, for women. Uh, they do an ultrasound on the pipe, and they can actually tell what the thickness of the pipe was. So he's thinking 254. We're all fairly comfortable. I, I wasn't comfortable about it the whole time because he's about to weld on live pressure. And, and you got 500 pounds pushing out the other way. And if you know what a weld is, it's liquefying the metal. So you have liquid metal with 500 pounds pushing the other way. Um, he melts about halfway through that steel line to get the, the new fitting to sit on it and, and liquefy onto it, you know, and when it solidifies up, it sticks. So he takes a ultrasound of it, and I'm sitting there watching his gauge, expecting, you know, 254, 280, somewhere in there, and it says 144. <laughs> and I was like, take, take that again. So he takes it again, 142. 
go over a little bit and take it again, 140. So now we're dealing with, it's called 0 0.140 wall. So quarter inch is 250. So 140 is like, what, an eighth of an inch, just, just over an eighth of an inch thick wall. And so uh, even the welder goes, I mean, I, I'll do it, but I don't even, I don't like doing this. So it's not, it's completely legal and up to policy and everything else, but it's a little bit, a little bit nerve wracking. So I was thinking that in my head as we were getting ready to weld, pray for daddy to be safe. And I'm like, we're gonna need it today. But everything went good, it went smooth. He came out of the hole, everything was welded on. And um, the fire watch guy, we're, we're down at a, it's a grain elevator is what it is. And I came over there one time and, and uh, anyway, he was not paying attention. I said, pay attention to him welding. If it catches on fire, we gotta put it out. So anyway, exciting week this week. We'll be back down there uh, this coming week, finishing up that project. But uh, lots of long hours. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from home, so back and forth every day. Uh, it's been a, been a busy couple weeks. But a friend to others. John chapter 15. I'm going to read this verse, then we'll pray, and then we'll get right into the lesson. This is a very familiar verse to us. That's why I didn't have you turn here, because I want you to be at this other passage. But greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. And, you know, we hear that verse, and, and who is that verse talking about? It's in context of Jesus. Jesus laying down his life for his friend. And I don't have, uh, I'm not even at that passage, I'm reading it off of my notes, but um, uh, if, if Jesus, you know, if, if uh, you have a Bible with the words of Jesus in red, that's Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And a true friend, and I, I've, I don't, I don't want to give you numbers because I can't remember them off the top of my head, but I've read them in the past, that the, the average person will have no more than like three true, real friends in their entire lifetime. And uh, those numbers sound surprising to me because I've been very, very blessed uh, in my life growing up in church. I, I have dozens of friends that I would call my true, true friends, that no matter what I need, if I called them today and said, man, I need you here tomorrow, they would be here. And uh, not everybody has that. And so a true friend is a treasure from God, a treasure to have. And uh, we always instruct our children, you know, hey, make sure you're watching who your friends are, because who your friends are, so our pastor always used to tell us this growing up, who your friends are and what you read is who you will become. So be careful what you read and be careful who your friends are. And we teach our children that. But then sometimes we don't take that advice for ourselves. We still, as adults, need to be careful who our friends are. And I think even more important than that, be careful that we are the friend that someone else needs. Um, I think often it's, a, it's a, maybe a selfish mindset, I don't know, but man, I gotta be careful who my friends are, careful who I'm hanging out with. But make sure that when you are with somebody, they may be looking up to you to be that friend they need. And if you're not a good influence on them, uh, you can hurt their spiritual walk. So let's pray, and we're going to get right into uh, this lesson. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you for this topic that you talk about all over the place in your word. And I pray that as we look at it just for a few minutes here, uh, God, that we would endeavor to be the, 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 the friends spiritually and uh, in, this, in our physical lives that, uh, that we need to be. And uh, God, I pray that we would surround ourselves with good friends. God, the ones that are going to edify us and, and uplift us and make us uh, closer to you. God, as, as iron sharpening iron, 
uh, will be sharpened by our friends to, to do more for you and to be more of a useful tool uh, in your hand. Pray that you would bless this hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to get right into it. First of all, a friend is encouraging and edifying. Um, I, I really, I, hate is a strong word, but I hate being around people, and there's lots of them at, at the workforce or wherever else, that everything is negative. Everything is, uh, you know, putting down the, the, the company that they work for who's paying, paying them a really good paycheck, taking care of their daily needs. Man, this place this, and this place that. I, I, I despise being around people like that because it makes me like that uh, to a degree. I start looking at the negative of everything, and man, they should have did this. This could be better. Uh, but when you get around somebody who, who says, man, this company's, and there's a guy, I'll tell you about him in a minute. I got another story about him. But there was a guy, he's retired now. But every time you talk to him, and I don't believe that he was, he's a Christian, um, a good guy, but he's not a Christian. And good guys don't get to heaven without Jesus Christ, right? But he's a good moral guy and, and, uh, and a nice guy to, to be around. But every time you were around him, he would always be, man, this company's been good to me, man. I, I've been blessed my whole life. And, and it just makes you, puts you in a different mindset going, you know what? This is a good company. I could, I've worked in other companies that are nothing like this. But a friend is encouraging. And here's the definition of encourage. It means to inspire with hope, courage, or confidence to hearten. So there could be a couple different ways of encouraging. Somebody who is running in a race and their family standing on the sidelines and cheering them on as they go past, that's an encouragement, right? It gives you a little boost of energy. But spiritually, we need encouragement to walk in truth, which is different. And the, the first point here is encouraging and edifying. It's different than edifying. Encouraging is to, to uh, inspire with hope, courage, or confidence, to, to build somebody up and let them know, hey, man, you're doing a good job. That's encouragement. Edifying is not always that. Sometimes edifying is, is a reproof. But encouragement, uh, and we need that <clears throat> to be that for our friends, and we need friends who are encouraging. Um, there's a couple verses in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, and you can turn to these or not. I'm just going uh, to give you the reference and then read them and, and move along. But the Bible says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A word fitly spoken. I remember, um, so at the church we were at in Indiana, there was a the Bible college there. And it wasn't huge. There was maybe, uh, when I was a little kid, there was probably 150, 175 students. And as I got older, there was probably 100 students. It, it, uh, but anyways, there was always a college there my whole entire life. And as a little kid, you know, you're looking up to all these college students. And, uh, and then as you get older, you're like, man, they're all just little kids. Uh, but... I remember being in college, and a new, you know, new freshman would come in, and they're typically coming from little tiny churches, uh, and, and we had, you know, we grew up in a pretty big church. You have to be decent sized to have a college, and uh, these new freshmen would come in, and they're scared, maybe isn't the right word, but just really out of their comfort zone, and, um, you know, at 18, 19 years old, it's kind of a, uh, even in Bible college, sometimes it can be a, a a dog-eat-dog -dog world, unfortunately. Just kind of looking out for yourself, looking out, you're trying to pay your own bills, you're trying to make your way through school. And, and people can get uh, tossed aside or run over or overlooked. And as I got older, 
um, I was still in the same church. I was out of college. Me and my wife were still there, and we had started our family there. And I was in my mid-later 20s. And I started, because I knew uh, I had been with those young freshmen in the dorm rooms when they had no idea what was going on, and they're uh, scared and ready to, ready to quit. I mean, after two days, two, three days, they're homesick already. Uh, everything they've known is, is gone, and they're in a new place. They were excited to come, but now they're, double, they're second, having second thoughts, thinking, man, did I make the right decision? So as we got older, we, me and my wife would, would really make a point, especially early, early in the school year, to encourage these kids. Go up there and say, hey, and, and you know, we're glad you're here. If there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Kind of talk with them, get their story, get their little bit of a background. Try to make them comfortable because they needed encouragement. And that doesn't only go for, for uh, freshman Bible college students. That goes for us as well. Sometimes we, we go through things and we need encouragement. Uh, the devil knows how to tear us down. Um, we, Satan's been at this for thousands and thousands of years, taking down many mighty men, even in the Bible. He takes them down. And one of the ways he does that, he starts with discouraging them. Uh, if he can discourage you in the church, next thing you know, you're second-guessing your pastor. You're having bitterness toward other church members. Next thing you know, you're gone, and Satan has won. So encourage your friends. Encourage them. Even Encourage people that you maybe don't even consider your friends, and they may become your friend, but encouragement is extremely important. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 23 says this, A word spoken in due season. He doesn't even give us a description of what it is. He just says, how good is it? A word spoken in due season, how good is it? It's important uh, that we encourage one another. Uh, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 17 right now in verse 9. This is where I had you turn at the beginning. But just because someone is in a spot, a position of leadership, doesn't mean that they don't need encouragement. Um, I'm specifically thinking of our pastor. Uh, but look at Moses in Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 through 12. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Moses is excited. He's ready to go fight the Amalekites. In verse 10, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And we're very familiar with the story. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Encouragement can be a lot more than just words as well. It can be actions. Something that... Uh, man, somebody's just going through it, and an action that you do for them just encourages them, gives them the fight that they need maybe for another day. Uh, and they don't even have to be going through a battle, but we see here with, with Moses, uh, he had these two men. And they weren't just standing there saying, keep your hands up, you can do it. They put their, their words or their, their friendship to action, and they held his hands up. Uh, so Moses needed encouragement. I, I love this story, uh, but David needed encouragement. And 1 Samuel, we have this story, and I'm going to have you turn to a passage about this here in a, in a little bit, but um, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And I, 
Talk about friendship. Jonathan at this point knew he was heir to the, to the throne and was not going to get to have it. He knew David was, was uh, anointed to be king at this point. And Jonathan, I mean, I don't know what my mindset would be. Uh, maybe Jonathan knew, hey, there's no point in fighting it. This is, this is what God wants. So I'm just going to uh, make, make the best of it maybe and, and go befriend the king, uh, the new king. But I think more than anything, is, is da- it's Jonathan's spirit. He just, he loved David as his own soul, knew he had the right to be the next king, but decided he was going to be a friend to David. In 1 Samuel 23, 16, we read that Jonathan went to David, and you'll remember when this is. David is David's on the run. Jonathan goes to David, and it says he strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan is, is a true friend to David here, and I, like I said, we're going to turn to another passage here in just a little bit. And read a little bit more on it. The disciples needed encouragement. Think about what the disciples were going through. They've been called by Jesus, follow me, right? All 12 of them had their different way that they were called, but they were called by Jesus to follow him. And they're following this teacher kind of in their, in their eyes. Uh, they knew he was the Messiah and definitely by the end of the Gospels and, and, and uh, uh, right before Jesus dies, they knew who he was. Peter even says... You know, you're, you're Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my father. But the disciples early on, they really didn't know what was going on. I mean, that's why Jesus is speaking in parables and they're saying, what does that mean? Tell, give us the, the meaning of that. Um, even fairly close to the end, uh, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to die and be in the grave for three days and then rise again. They didn't understand that. And Jesus encourages them. Uh, in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. Just verse 7 is the one I want to focus on. But even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And this is where he says five sparrows are sold uh, for two farthings, and, and I don't forget them. And you're much more important than a sparrow. He's telling the, the, the disciples this. He's encouraging them. Uh, to continue to follow him and, and continue on with what they've started, knowing that Jesus, him knowing that they are going to need this, especially when he ascends into heaven and he's gone, they're going to need these, this encouragement uh, from him. And then, and then last thing here with encouragement, Jesus needed encouragement. Jesus, in the garden, Luke chapter 22, verse 44, says this, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Even Jesus needed encouragement to go through with what he knew was the right thing to do. And I want you to turn here. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to go back and forth from the Old to New Testament. We were talking about this in the van. My new uh, method to keep everybody awake. Acts chapter 4. When you hear somebody's Bible slide off their lap and hit the floor, you know what happened. They've been sleeping. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. This is an interesting passage, and I love teaching on Barnabas because uh, of, of what we see here. Verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, his real name is Joseph. They nicknamed him or changed his name to Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. His name is changed because he's such an encourager. That's what consolation means. It is encouragement to others. And if you read through the Acts and and Paul's missionary journeys, 
Barnabas is his, I mean, not just his right-hand man. He's what sometimes kept Paul going. And, and think about Barnabas uh, when Paul has his uh, conversion, the road to Damascus. It's, that's Barnabas that they send him to. And Barnabas brings Paul to the brethren in Jerusalem, and they're scared to death. And Barnabas says, you got to trust me on this. I think that he's truly converted, and God's going to use him. And they accept him in. Barnabas is a, a huge influence on the new on the on the uh on the church here in jerusalem but it's because he was such an encouragement he was such an encourager he's also the one that sold his land and brought it to to peter right before ananias and sapphira go yeah we did the same thing and they dropped dead barnabas gave to the church uh he was he was a giver he was an encourager and when somebody says man that guy will give you the shirt off his back i think that's what you had here with barnabas a true giver just giving of himself and encouraging others uh, in the work of God. So we have an encourager, and then we also, a, a true friend, needs to edify. Now here's the definition of edify. To instruct, especially so as to encourage intellectual, moral, or spiritual improvement. That's the dictionary definition of it. So to edify, what does that mean? Anybody think of, a, think of an English word that has that root in it, edify. To build up. That's exact, That's literally what it means. So, so if you have an edifice, that's a, it's a building. To edify literally means to build up. And that's what we need in friends, and that's what we need to be as a friend. Got a quick story. William Wilberforce uh, lived from 1759 to 1833. Who was he? Who was William Wilberforce? A little history lesson. Great Britain. What, what was he known for? How about that? What did he do? He was known for being a huge proponent of abolishing slavery in the, in the United Kingdom, in Great Britain. So that's who William Wilberforce was. He was a lawyer, and uh, for 20 years, he fought to abolish slavery, and it didn't happen. And what would happen all the time, like it does in politics even now, is he would take this before Parliament. He would be close, real close to abolishing slavery, and they would have these you know, dirty political tricks they would play and get things thrown out, and, and it just never happened. And I, don't, I didn't realize this until I was reading this story, that John Newton was a lifelong friend of William Wilberforce, John Newton that wrote Amazing Grace. Now, what do we know about John Newton before his salvation? He was a slave trader. He, that's what he did. Uh, that's how he made his money. And he gets saved, and these two become lifelong friends. William Wilberforce was a, a believer, by the way. And uh, this is what John Newton said uh, to William Wilberforce. He says, um, you're a public man. This is not a quote, but you're, you're a public man. And he said, he encouraged him, edified him with the story of Daniel. He said, to William Wilberforce, the God whom you serve continually. Does that sound familiar? That's what, that's what Darius said to Daniel. The God whom you serve continually uh, is able to preserve and to deliver you. He will see you through. Um, that's edification. It's not just, hey, you, brother, you can do this, man. You can do it. Good luck on your interview. That's, that's not edifying. That's encouragement, but that's not edifying. Edifying is taking God's word and saying, hey, this is a promise from God. Hold on to it. Uh, the God whom you serve continually is able to preserve and to deliver you. He will su see you through. Uh, John Newton encouraged, edified William Wilberforce, who eventually did see the abolition of slavery in, uh, 
John Newton encouraged him. And we see the same thing. Turn to Esther chapter 4, back to the, to the Old Testament. <clears throat> Esther chapter 4. And you'll, you'll know this story. But I want to look, there's just at verse uh, 14. You got to think, Queen Esther at this point is, uh, she's now in the kingdom. She's been chosen. But her people, if I can get there, goodness, Esther chapter 4, there we go. Uh, her people, the Jews, are getting ready to be destroyed. Uh, if you remember, Haman is trying to destroy the Jews. He gets the king to issue a, a, a decree that they're going to be destroyed. And that decree doesn't change, by the way, uh, in, the, in the rest of the story. The decree doesn't change, but he gives the Jews opportunity to fight back when the time comes. But Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. Put yourself in her shoes. She, we read this story, and, uh, but, but quickly, you are not allowed to come to the king without him inviting you, right, back in this day. And she walks in there uninvited and pleads her cause before the king. She didn't just do that. Uh, she did that with, with, uh, in prayer and with the encouragement of her cousin, Mordecai. But I'm sure she was scared to death walking in there and, and this whole, through this whole ordeal. Um, think about the, the banquet she served to Haman and the king. I'm sure she was scared to death. She's a little Jewish girl. She's, she's not royalty. She didn't grow up in, this, uh, in any of this. So it's all new to her. But in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, she gets some edifying advice from her cousin, Mordecai. He says, that, says this at the end of the verse. Uh, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's not just encouragement. That's edification. He's, he's encouraging her in the Lord. Hey, this may be exactly what your purpose on this earth is for. This right here. Follow through with what you know is, is you're supposed to do, what God has told you to do. He's edifying his, his cousin. Uh, but man, there's nothing quite like, that's why a church is so different from anything else that the world has. Any kind of club or any kind of, you know, um, brotherhood or any kind of uh, Greek sorority, anything like that. The church has people there that'll edify you. And I'm telling you, it's what Proverbs says, how good, it is, how good is it? There's nothing quite like, and that doesn't even have to be when you're going through a tough time. It may be something that you're just, you know, you're going through life and you get some edification, some building up spiritually from a brother in Christ. How good that is. And we need that. So secondly, a friend goes the second mile. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through this. Um, but look at Luke chapter 10. Back to the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 30 quickly. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And you got to think, um, the Samaritans and the Jews, we know they hated each other. They, they despised each other. But we have here a priest, and I'm not going to read this story, but Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. I, I may pick out a couple verses, but uh, a priest, th this man is... is well, verse 30, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
All right, that's, this, that's the situation this man is in. And a priest comes by, sees him, probably maybe even thinks, that's what you get when you hang out with the wrong crowd, right? So, I mean, we do that sometimes. That's what you get. Maybe you'll learn your lesson. You're not dead. You'll recover, and hopefully you'll learn your lesson. The priest walks on by, and then a Levite comes along, another good man. But he passes on the other side of the road and walks on by. And then we have this Samaritan, who is a true friend here in this, in this situation, fills the need that this man had, has. The Bible says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took, two, took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. This Samaritan didn't even know this man. He's a true, it's a true friend. He, and he didn't just, you know, give him a little money on the side of the road or give him a little food or, hey, here's some water to help you out. He puts him on his own beast, takes him to this inn, and, and provides for him. How much more, go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 while, while I'm talking. How much more people that we know, Christian, Christian brothers and sisters that we know, how much more should we be taking care of them and going the, the extra mile? You know, sometimes we see uh, somebody in need and God lays it on our heart to, to help them out. And uh, our, our attitude shouldn't be... Ugh. And if they would make better decisions, they, could, they would be a lot better off. It should be, you know what, I'm going to give to them, and I'm going to give them a little bit more. Uh, that's what a true Christian friend is. But 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 27, we have Jonathan meeting David's, David's needs. Verse 27, it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty, and Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet food, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered and said, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother he hath commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me go get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. And then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground... Thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Which Jonathan already knows. I'm not going to have a kingdom. I'm not going to be established. Um, but, but going through verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. But he meets David's needs. He, he's just, a, I don't have time to, to go, to, but a perfect example of a true, true friend. Somebody that we can aspire to, to be like. Um, but then Jesus Christ meets our needs, and, and uh, you know the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um, and that's a good statement. What a friend. It's, it's a question, kind of a rhetorical question. Think about what a friend he is to you. Um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm out of time, but a, a true friend is patient. Uh, think of the patience that Jesus has toward us. And I'm telling you, there's some people that will hold a grudge for decades, Decades. Another point is a friend is forgiving. Uh, that will, we'll, we're going to have to skip, but forgiving and patient. That's a true friend. I know good men, some of them even pastors. They get into an argument, or not even just, you know, but they get into a disagreement, and for decades they will hold grudges against each other. That's, that's not a friend. A friend is patient, 
and forgiving and, and patient, meaning they overlook, they'll overlook. You know what? Maybe he did say that. Maybe he said that in front of a lot of people, but I know he probably didn't mean it. I know his heart. He's a good man. Whatever. That's patience and forgiveness. Uh, and a friend is faithful. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loveth at all times. Um, first Peter talks about a man named Silvanus. Well, that's the same man. As, that's Silas. And, and it says, a faithful, he's been a faithful brother unto you. And in Acts chapter 16, we see him imprisoned with Paul in Philippi. That's, that's the same man. He's been faithful. No matter what he's, what he's going through, Paul has him by his side. That's a, and, and this is not just, um, I think sometimes we hear stuff so much that we're, we, we kind of get uh, cliche um, that a, a friend is this, and a friend is that, a friend is forgiving, a friend is patient. But um, really think about that. A friend. Go back to Proverbs. A word fitly spoken. This isn't even action. This is just a word. Uh, something that you could do in passing and move along. But a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. It's, uh, it's so important. Um, I wrote this down here next to a friend is forgiving because I'm kind of flipping through my notes now. Imagine how you would respond if in your darkest hour all of your closest friends abandoned you. Who did that happen to? I mean, every one of them. To the point where at the cross, John's the only one recorded as even being there at the cross. But we know in the garden they all bailed on him. They all fled. Paul swings, I mean, uh, Peter swings his sword and rolls. And then he, from afar off, he's looking to see how, how's it going to go. And the only person we have recorded even being at the cross is John. And what does Jesus do as soon as he raises from the dead? What's the first place Jesus went? To the upper room. To the disciples and says, hey. Brethren, uh, here I am. And he says that in John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the, uh, peace be unto you. It's the first words he says to them. Peace be unto you. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, Jesus forgave his, even his closest friends that, that uh, forsook him. And we've never had anybody do that to us. You know, they might have said something we didn't like. Forgive, forgive. Uh, forgiveness can cover, can cover so much. Uh, I say sin, but so much offense. Just forgive. Who are we to not forgive? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. Who, who are we to, to be so offended by something that somebody did or said that we can't forgive them? Um, when everything daily we do, we offend Jesus Christ. And what does he do? First John 1, 9. He forgives. He forgives. He forgives. And he's faithful to forgive. You know what that means? He'll never not forgive if we come to him and bring, bring our... Uh, our sins to him. He'll never not forgive them. So then who are we? Are we better than Christ that we don't have to forgive? Somebody wounded us more than Christ was wounded or not. And so um, kind of kind of uh, didn't get through my whole lesson there, but be a friend. Man, it's so important uh, in a church. You can have two people get mad at each other and split a church. Take, well, these are my friends and those are their friends and they get mad and they, and they split the whole church over it. Be a true, godly, encouraging, edifying, patient, forgiving friend. And I know uh, people do go through some things. I hear it all the time. Man, I was, he was burned by that church. I, I understand that, but it's not an excuse. Uh, we should be forgiving and patient and understanding with people. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. 
understand them and, and forgive them. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you again for this day you've given us. God, I pray that this lesson, uh, that the church has built uh, on, on the friendships inside the church, God, uh, spiritually edifying one another and, and spiritually encouraging each other. God, I just pray that we would be uh, good friends. Uh, this is what we have, God. We're, we're pilgrims and strangers in this land, and we need uh, friends to come alongside of us, and we need to be friends to come alongside others in their time of need. And I pray that we would do that. God, I pray that we'd be encouragers. I pray that it would be our very uh, character, as we see with Barnabas, just an encourager and, and uh, lifting up the people of God and, and uh, boosting them along their, their way as we walk uh, toward uh, our eternal destiny in heaven with you. I pray that we'd be encouragers here uh, on this earth. I pray that you bless this next hour, that you would uh, be with our pastor, give him the power and the words uh, as he speaks for, for what we need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.